I'm Pastor Philip Jackson, and this is the Married Now What podcast. Our goal is to provide young couples with the resources they need to build their lives on the truth of God's Word. We are so glad that you're here. Let's get to the lesson. Whose voice can come in? So as I mentioned last week, the, um, the call for us this year is to spend some intentional time working on uh, understanding some of these core things. And um, the Lord has been convicting me about just um, my understanding having a, having a good grasp of these core elements so that we can so that I can um, have an answer for my generation and the things I interact with. I want to start with something, um, something simple. Okay, so follow me down this this logical train. Theology is a combination of two words. It is the study of God. So theos is the Greek word for God. Ology means the study of. So we have different kinds of ologies. We have zoology, the study of animals. We have biology, the study of life. We have uh, anthropology, the study of human beings and mankind and societies. So theology is not a crazy concept. Right, uh, just like it, how you guys have done a puzzle before, right? So when you do a puzzle, you empty down on the table, you flip all the pieces over, and you begin to examine all the little bitty pieces, right? And you start to see how all of those pieces, which ones are similar to each other, how they relate to each other, right? This is a pretty common practice. So the same thing is true for theology. If you take uh, essentially, as we read God's word, we begin to discover different pieces of His character, who He is. Right, so once we start discovering these little bitty pieces, we start to see how there are they are related to each other, and we begin to start connecting those pieces together in a system, a system where all the pieces are relating and they're working together. This is where we get the term systematic theology. The idea is if we study God's word, we start to discover different things about Him, and that begins to put together a, a framework for us to understand who God is. So if you have an opinion about God any opinion whatsoever, you're a theologian. If you have, if you believe that God exists, you're a theologian. If you think that God doesn't exist, you are a theologian. If you have any kind of an opinion about God, uh, you are a theologian. Theology is important because it's the lens that helps us see God for who He is. So if we have an ignorant theology, if we choose on purpose to stay out of God's Word, we are going to have a frail understanding not just of who God is, but also of who we are, because we can learn who we are by, uh, by our connection to Him. So there's two different, there's uh, internal uh, sources that we can look at, that's biblical sources, there's external sources that we can look at for the credit, credibility of Scripture. This is through history and through ancient documents and things that aren't uh, a biblically based uh, perspective. We're not going to look at the external stuff today, we're going to look at the internal stuff. What does the Bible say about itself? And the reason why this is important is because all of our understanding, our, our perspective about these little bit of pieces and how they fit together comes from our knowledge of the Bible. We have certain parts of our, of our culture that are important to us because they help frame our perspective about God. We read our Bibles. We study our Bibles. We go to Bible studies. We listen to Bible teachers. We listen to, to scripturally based music. All of these things are the foundation of what it means to be the people of God. One of the reasons why we ask the question before we start class, what is God showing you, is not because we're doing, uh, we're checking each other's homework. It's because if you have learned something about God that I don't know, I want to know that. 
I want you to share that with me because it helps me grow. It helps me understand how my life fits into what God has created. Right? So if, you, if you're interacting with me and I ask you, tell me, how's your soul? What's God showing you? What are you, what are you learning? I am not making sure that you are mining your P's and Q's. I am hungry to know what God's Word has told you so that I can then take that lesson and I can incorporate it into my life. That's a key part of, of our perspective. Your theology, I had, a, I had a, a seminary professor say this one time that it blew my mind. He said, your theology is the most basic thing about you because how you see God is how you see the world. Your theology is the most basic thing about you because how you see God is how you see the world. So we're going to begin over the next eight weeks uh, today looking at where we get this information. We're going to start examining these, these puzzle pieces to see if this is something that actually is, is worth our time. So we're going to begin with the doctrine of Scripture. So, any, so all of these subjects, we're going to say the doctrine of such and such, the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of man. All of these things, doctrine just means a system of belief. Okay, what do we believe about this specific subject? So the doctrine of Scripture is the study or the belief about what Scripture is and how it fits into our life as believers. So there's a lot of passages that we're going to go through this morning. I've had, I have them all just for efficiency's sake, listed on my piece of paper. And if we need to take a, a tangent, we will. But I'm going to do my best to be diligent to work through this. Okay. So if you've spent time in your book, um, you have already read some of these passages. You've already been interacting with some of this material already. So hopefully this is going to be a profitable uh, time for you. So the first thing we're going to start with is that the Bible is credible and was given by God. So there are two different kinds of what's called revelation. Revelation is uh, the revealing of truth. Okay, There is general revelation and there is special revelation. Now, general revelation is how God has, has made Himself known in the created order, in the, world, in the natural world. General revelation is if I pull out a microscope and I look at the complexities of a, of a single cell organism, I see the mitochondria, I see the nucleus, I see all of the different complex systems within that little bitty cell, cellular organism, that tells me that there's a creator who has divinely put all these elements together. General revelation also shows if I go to the Hubble telescope and I look into the vastness of the universe and I see how all of the planets and the stars and all the solar system is, has been put together on a razor's edge, that that tells me that there has to be a creator. There has to be something, someone, that has uniquely designed all this stuff to work together. There's all kinds of things we can talk about about general revelation. Special revelation is God's intentional interaction with His creation. So, Scripture tells us that there's two ways that God has given us special revelation. One is through His interaction with human beings. This is God interacting with somebody, giving them a vision, talking to them directly. Or, it's through the life of Jesus Christ in His Word. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-4 through 4 says this, God, having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days spoke to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power, who, having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as He has inherited a more excellent name than they. So we start off by seeing that God has given us special revelation so that we can know Him. So when we open up His Word, 
what's happening is that we are, we are reading not a list of do's and don'ts, we are reading God's love letters to us. So when we read the Bible, what it's doing is that it's teaching us about who God is and about our relationship to Him. That's the first thing. The second thing, second way that it's credible is that Scriptures is inspired by God. So you're familiar more than likely with these path, this passage from 2 Timothy where Paul is writing Timothy and he is, he, this, is, this is the end of Paul's life. He's presumably going to be, church history tells us he's about to go to the executioner's acts. So he writes one last letter to his follower Timothy. And right before these verses, he, he calls Timothy's attention to his missionary journeys as he went through Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Lystra is uh, Timothy's hometown. And at Lystra, Paul was actually stoned and nearly killed. So presumably, Timothy, as a, as a son of a faithful Jewish woman who was also a believer, he would have more than likely either seen Paul get stoned or he would have been exposed to the community that would have been talking about it. right? Because the next time that Paul comes to Lystra, the church says, Paul, you need to meet this kid, Timothy, and you need to take him under your wing. And Timothy begins to follow Paul as his disciple. So he, calls, he, he, he writes this letter to Timothy and he says, I want you to remember the life and the example that I have given you and what you experienced in these places, primarily your hometown, what you saw in me. And I want you to imitate that. I want you to follow that. This is his swan song. And, and in the context of that, Paul writes this. You know, if you, for instance, if, if, if this is your, you're going to speak something, your final message to your loved ones, you want to give them uh, inspiration for how to live, right? We've seen this in stories and in movies where the old man is lying on his bed. He's dying. Grandma is dying in her bed. She says, come close. I have something really important to tell you. This is what Paul is saying. Okay, I want you to follow my example. But also remember, I haven't left you completely destitute. You have, you have resources that you don't even understand. So he says this in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17, uh, beginning in verse 14. He says, but you continue in the things you learned and became convinced of knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament writings, he says, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is important because it is God's specific word to us. He has given us intentional instruction about how to live. That in and of itself makes it credible. So in other words, this is not a book of suggestions. This is a book of reality, of truth. So whenever I, have to, whenever I come to Scripture and I read something that, that I feel um, I disagree with, I need to have the ready reconciliation in, our, in my mind, the ready courage to say, there's something about this that I don't understand and in spite of my ignorance and my skepticism, I'm going to do what it says. And as a result, what happens is that we begin to realize that Scripture proves itself to be true. As you get older, what's amazing is that Scripture proves itself to be true over and over and over again. Some of you have experienced this in, in the basic thing of like, God, how are we going to pay this bill? And all of a sudden, something shows up and our needs are taken care of. So when he says in Matthew 6, I know what you need, I'll take care of it. Uh, the longer we live, we start to learn these lessons. It's like, oh my goodness, this is true. This is, this is crazy how this is true. So the Bible is credible because it was given by God. The second thing is that Scripture is alive and it's active. Now, 
Um, what makes us what makes us uh, embrace the idea or, or, or combat the, the argument that this is just a collection of old ancient writings that are not credible? This was important for the per, for the people that it was written to at the time. Okay, that's great. But how does this actually mean? How does this actually connect to my life? Because I read stories about you know people going to war and people getting circumcised, and all of a sudden there's this there's there's good kings and bad kings, but the good kings are also bad kings. And then there's like, how does this all fit together? This isn't relevant to me. Well, Scripture tells us about this. It says that God's Word, it acts as essentially as a scalpel to lay us open as God, as, as God reveals who He is. He also, by contrast, shows us how broken that we are. Okay, so the concept of you go out and you buy a brand new white shirt, come home, put it on the rack next to your old white shirt, and the old white shirt doesn't look as white as, it, as you thought it was. Right? By comparison, we are dingy compared to God. So look at this from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from its sight, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account. So in, in essence... Consider it this way, that as we read God's Word, just like going into surgery, God uses His Word like a scalpel to lay us open. I don't know if you have had the experience of reading His Word and you're going through a situation and you're not really sure what to do, and you come across a passage in your reading and the Holy Spirit confirms to you, oh wait, that's, that's for me. And you realize that, you know what, that that's not what I want to do. That's exactly the opposite of what I want to do. What's happening is that God is laying your heart open, and He is showing you how you need to respond to a situation. Now, here's the thing. We read verse 13 where it says, And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of Him to whom we have to give an account. Now, that, that, that verse gives us some verbiage to give an account. He lays us open. He's... He exposed us. I don't know about you, but that's really intimidating. It's kind of irritating, actually, that God's going to hold me accountable. Because didn't He make me broken? Didn't He allow me to be born into a broken world? Didn't, doesn't He let me go through these trials on purpose? So why, why do I have to be the one to give an account to Him? But I want you to see something. The next verses tell us something that's very, very profound about how God sees us. Beginning in verse 14, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us take hold of our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, in essence, what, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that God's, God's Word is the scalpel He uses to cut us open and to reveal all the broken parts that are in us. But the sweet thing is the doctor who's performing the surgery is Jesus Christ. That Jesus has walked this human life. Now, well, when we get into the doctrine of, of Jesus, uh, of, of um, salvation, we'll, we'll uncover this a little bit more. But I want you to think about this. This passage says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but without sin. 
That means that Jesus did not have a leg up on holiness. That He intentionally limited Himself to experience a completely human life. Philippians 2 tells us that He emptied Himself of all the prerogatives of being God. He intentionally chose not to express certain parts of His nature. That means that when Jesus was interacting with somebody, He didn't know what they were thinking if the Holy Spirit hadn't told Him. Intentionally. That means that that when Jesus encountered trouble and trial, He faced it as a human being, yet also as God. He chose on purpose to live the same life that you and I live. Now, for some of you, you're hearing me say this, and you're like, whoa, wait a second. This is whoa. Jesus cannot be all God and all man and be our sympathetic surgeon if He has not lived an authentic human life. That's the whole premise of the Gospel. When you go through and you read the book of Hebrews, you read the book of Philippians, you start to see that God has intentionally chosen to do this through, uh, through Himself so that He can relate to you. So that He could understand our struggle, our plight. This is a massive truth. That means that whenever we read God's Word and it stings us, we understand that our doctor who is laying us open is not doing it from a place of of calloused condemnation. He's doing it as someone who's actually navigated the sickness himself. Huge truth here. Massive truth. Catastrophic implications. Okay. The next thing about it being alive and active is that God's Word will always bear fruit. Isaiah 55, 8-11 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways... Nor, nor your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word, which, uh, so my word be which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what it, what pleases me, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. If you go through and you read the book of Romans, Paul tells us that it's through the preaching of God's Word that people come to faith in Christ. That, it's, that, that God's Word is the silver bullet for life. It is the thing that brings life. This special revelation is the thing that changes our perspective. It gives us the concept that something is broken. How would we know that we are sinful if God had not told us that we were separated from Him? How would we not know that there was hope for us if God had not said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? How would we know that that there would be confirmation that if we believed in Him, that our lives would be changed unless He had told us, if you believe in me, your life will be changed? Special revelation, God's Word always bears fruit. Always. It's guaranteed. So that means that whenever we're skeptical about obeying God's Word, we can rest assured knowing that it will not come back void. So as you're making decisions about guiding your family, about the direction of your family, direction of your marriage, your relationship, you can never go wrong applying God's Word because it will shape your life. The third thing is that Scripture is forever. In other words, Scripture is timeless. It is something that will never expire. Within this, I want you to see that God's Word will outlast everything. It is always applicable. Isaiah 4.8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. There is something 
incredible about God's Word. Yes? Is it 48? I'm sorry, I'm missing a zero. Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. Thank you, Chad. Um, God's Word is going to outlast everything. It will, it will never, even in eternity, it will never be irrelevant. You see, the thing is about, about this is that as we, as we spend eternity in heaven, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about how God fulfilled the promises that He made to us. How can we do that if we don't talk about the promises? Whenever we are talking to the Lord, we're talking to each other, giving testimony about what God has done, we are going to be able to proclaim His faithfulness and His love and His mercy and His grace because we have the context of His special revelation. This is profound. Uh, the second thing that it lasts forever is that God's Word establishes and sustains the world. In other words, nothing can exist without it. Uh, Isaiah 119, 89, and 90 says, sorry, Psalm. This is, side note, I mean, uh, uh, Levi has talked about that in his, this in his lessons, that the longest passage in the Bible is a love letter about how a guy feels about Scripture. I think that's pretty cool. Psalm 119, 89 through 90 says a lot, or the whole chapter says a lot about God's Word, but these verses say, Forever, O Yahweh, your word stands firm in heaven. Your faithfulness endures from generation to generation. You establish the earth and it, and, uh, and it stands. Think about this. Genesis 1 and 2 give us the account of creation. Pop quiz. How did God create the world? What did He do? He spoke. He said, let there be dot, 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 fill in the blank. Nothing could exist without God's special revelation. We could not exist. Matter could not be cohesive. There would be no universe. There would be no life. There would be no you or me without special revelation. God's Word says that it establishes and it sustains the world. The fourth thing here is that Scripture is worthy of delight. These aren't just rules, but this is a recipe to thrive. The idea of it being something that we enjoy. Um, look at this in Psalm 119, verse 92. It says, If your law had not been my delight then I would have perished in my affliction. One of the things about God's Word is that it's sweet because it protects us from danger. Um, again, if you, if you want just a, a great illustration of the power of God's Word, read Psalm 119. Just start to finish. It's beautiful about how it, it describes what God's Word is to us. It is, it's sweet to us because it protects us from danger. So... Um, for instance, okay, let's use, let's use just a basic example from our culture. In our culture, um, uh, intimacy, sex without, outside of the bounds of marriage is completely appropriate. Our culture says it doesn't matter. You can have sex with whoever you want. No matter what their gender is, no, there's no rules. You just chase whatever feels good for you because you're finding companionship or love or whatever you want to call it. But God's Word says that sexual activity should be restricted between a man and a woman in a covenant marriage, in a dedicated covenant marriage. Well, what are the practical dangers of sleeping with everybody under the sun? STDs. Thank you, Brittany. <laughs> Boom, it's right there. It's not good for you, right? It's bad for you. And there's all kinds of other deviant sexual practices that are more and more dangerous for you, right? 
the boundaries that God has placed within Scripture protect us from danger. Why does it say that we that we should live together in community? I'm reading a book right now written by a rabbi called Thou Shalt Prosper. And one of the concepts that he talks about, it's, it's looking at, at uh, the idea of financial prosperity within, uh, for, within Judaism. Okay? And one of the interesting things, that, one of the points that he makes is, he, says, he said that the Jewish community believes, uh, based on Torah law and from the Mishnah and the, and the, uh, the Talmud, that economic prosperity comes within the context of community. So you find a population center and you go there and you surround yourself with like-minded people. So, so how does that protect us? Well, okay. Well, how about somebody, I don't know, loses their job? And all of a sudden, they can't pay their bills. So their community surrounds them and begins to give them food. They begin to support them. They begin to help get them networked, to find somewhere to get them employment. They begin to lean on each other. There is protection from danger, practically, right? So God's Word is something that surrounds us and it keeps us uh, protected so that we can thrive. This isn't meant to be this... This uh, God put His thumb on us to make sure that we don't do anything that we enjoy. God's Word is meant to be a protection for us from danger. But also, it's sweet because it teaches us how to live. Um, when I was a kid, we played Super Nintendo. That was our thing, right? Um, now there's all kinds of stuff out there. But Super Nintendo is honestly the best, right, Johnny? Yeah. yeah. Um, but... This is true for every, every gaming system, but if, if you're playing a game, there's cheat codes. Are cheat codes still a thing? Of course they are. Johnny's a cheat code in and of himself. He can play any game really well. Yeah. <laughs> so cheat codes are this thing where you, like, you put the game in, turn it on, and at some point uh, in the game, you do certain actions, and then all of a sudden, you have, all, you have different superpowers. It defies the rules of the game, right? Unlimited lives, unlimited ammunition, whatever the case, case might be, right? Um, so, cheat codes. Well, God's Word is sweet to us because, honestly, it's a cheat code for us. It's a cheat code because all of a sudden, the world's out there spinning, everything's on fire, drinking coffee like the dog in the, in the living room, right? Everything's fine. Meanwhile, God's, God's people are thriving. Why is that? We're thriving because in spite of the room being on fire, we understand how things actually fit together. It's the idea of seeing life in color when everything, everybody else who's lost is seeing things in black and white. It's sweet to us because it allows us to thrive. Psalm 119, 97 through 104 says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are mine forever. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I perceive more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. For your precepts, from your precepts I get perception. Therefore, I hate every false way. God's word is sweet to us because it changes the way that we make decisions, the way that we see the world. It's honestly a cheat code. How do you know what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to live if you're not spending time in his word? If you find yourself frustrated, you find yourself bumping up against obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and you feel like you cannot make any progress, where does, where does, what, does clarity come from? It comes from here. 
Where does, where does uh, success come from? It comes from an understanding of His Word. Lastly, in this piece, is that God's Word is a delight because it teaches us about God's good character. How would we know who God is if we don't understand His Word? Because there are some who believe that God is essentially like a cosmic watchmaker. He made this complex system, He wound it up, and He just let it go. He's just kind of just letting it sit for now. But God's Word tells us that He is a good Father. That He's intentionally injected Himself into the affairs of men and that He is taking a personal stake in how we live our life. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, or sorry, James 1, 16 through 17 says this. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good thing, thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God is not hiding from us. He's not intentionally trying to manipulate us to do things so that we'll, we'll dance for Him and do the things that He wants us to do. He's not pulling the strings. He is a loving and good Creator who wants to have an intimate, intimate and intentional relationship with each one of us. Imagine that. That when He made everything, He said, you know what? Gabriel, this is awesome. But you know what this world really needs? This world really needs a Ross. This world really needs a tailor. That it's not going to be complete until I have that. It needs a Kalin. We need a Luke. That's the thing that we need. And I'm going to do some incredible things in their life. He is intentionally good. And we don't know that if we don't spend time in His Word. That means that you can't have personal confidence in what God has for you apart from the revelation of Scripture. Otherwise, you're always guessing about your identity. There's security in that. It's sweet to us. The last thing that I want you to see here is that Scripture is to be lived. It's not just some theological concept or some, some philosophical thing. It has to be lived out. Um, it should be known and obeyed. Look at this in James, continuing on in James verse 19 through 25. One, James 1, 19 through 25, it says this. It says, know, know this, my beloved brothers, uh, but everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, laying aside filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in gentleness receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But become a doer of the word, and not merely a hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looked at himself and he's gone away, he immediately forgets what he looks like. But one who looks into the, intently into the perfect law, the law of freedom, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in what he does. The idea, there's, there's a whole lesson that can be taught just in those verses in and of itself, but essentially there's this contrast that the, way of, the, the natural way of mankind is unregulated, is, is, is wild, is destructive. The natural, our natural bent is to be defensive and to be a brawler. But the application of God's Word transforms us. It changes us. It's meant to be lived out. I have, I have met these people. You probably have too. They've memorized a lot of Scripture. But they're a terrible person. They have, they've missed the truth by 12 inches from their head to their heart. There are a lot of people, a lot of people, who sit in church for their entire life, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and they've gone unchanged. We talked about last week that if you're not growing, you're sick. This is the whole concept of, of applying the Bible in our lives is that 
We must be in it because if we're not in it, we don't have any sustenance to process the things that we're going through. That's why it's so important for us to ask that question before we start Sunday school. What is God teaching you in your life? It's a continual reminder that, yes, this is how we are supposed to live. God's word should be known and it should be obeyed. And lastly, God's word uh, should, it should be the thing that, that keeps us on the right path. Psalm 119, 9-10 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word is meant to be lived because it shows us the path forward. It shows us where we're supposed to be going. Right? Uh, one of the reasons why we select a theme for this class for the year is because we want to prayerfully think about, okay, God, where am I in my life? Where are we in our season of life? And, and what is something that we need to marinate on for a season of time? That's why we choose the theme for the year. God's Word is, is the thing that drives everything that we do. Everything from the, the fellowships, everything from the lessons, everything from the series, all of this stuff is driven by this simple process. So if you ever wonder like, oh man, I wonder why we do this with Sunday school. I wonder why we do this with church. I wonder why the ministries do this, this, and this. Everything has to fall, flow through the concept of Scripture. There's, there, over the course of ministry in the last several years, there have been several people who come to me and they've got great ideas about how things should work and what we should do and different ways that we can connect with people. I love those ideas. But if they're not consistent with what God's told me the direction of the ministries are going to be, then I lovingly tell them, that's a great idea. Why don't you go work on that? But that's not something that I'm going to pick up because it's not what God has told me to do. So how does Scripture affect our life. It shapes how we see God and how we see ourselves. Because without it, we're not going to understand either one. I want to encourage you in this. As we spend this year looking at different aspects of who God is, our year uh, of knowing God, the, the Bible has to be the foundation of everything that we do, everything that we talk about. So this conversation is going to keep coming up. We're always going to come back to, what does God's Word say about that thing? And as we encounter these different subjects, whether it's God, His mercy, His grace, the condemnation of sin, judgment, wrath, whatever it might be, we have to ask the question, what does God's Word say about that thing? And that has to be the standard. I appreciate that everyone has opinions about everything. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is God's Word and its opinion about those subjects. So as we navigate this year, I want to encourage you, as we make decisions about our marriages and about our families and about our children, I want to encourage you that when you are unsure of yourself, God's Word is a place that you have to go to find answers. And if you don't know how to find the answers, ask that simple question. Because everyone in this room is hungry to know the truth. So if you're unsure, text me. Text Lindsay, Levi, or Becca, or Johnny, or whoever. Lean into your community to ask these questions, and we'll do this together. Because God's Word has told us that we are stronger when we obey His Word because it is everything for us. 
you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Married Now What podcast is a ministry of Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and is meant to be a resource for in-depth Bible study for couples striving to build their lives on the truth of God's Word. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org. I've tried.